Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Paul Shear is an actor, comic, improv artist, writer, director, producer, show creator, dad really sweet guy. I've known him for a bunch of years, but I don't get to hang out with him very much. That's why getting to spend what wound up being an hour talking to him for Wheels Off was a freaking treat, y'all. He is everything you would hope if you're a fan of his. He's real. He's a real sweetheart. And um, that's like a genuine defining characteristic of Paul Shear. I think it comes through pretty clearly. Oh, I left off podcaster on the list. I've I've gotten to appear on his How Did This Get Made podcast years ago. It's great. He's still making that with Jason Mansukas, who's hilarious, and Paul's wife, June. It's hard for me to imagine there's folks out there who don't know who Paul is. Maybe you do know who he is, but you just don't realize it. He's that kind of an actor. You probably would see his face and go, oh, yeah, that guy. Or hear his voice and the same thing. But once you've listened to him, I think you'll appreciate him as I do. He's pretty great. So please welcome to Wheels Off, the one and only Paul Scheer. Welcome to Wheels Off, Paul Scheer. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to be here. Rhett, how long have we known each other? I feel like I I know you for a long time, but it may not be as long as I think. I'm going to say nine or 10 years. Okay. So I take that. That is good. That's a good, that's a good long time. I know the the last few don't count. And I, and I've lived in New York the whole time. So I've only gotten to see you on visiting LA. Which is interesting because I'm a New Yorker and I was in New York uh, pretty much until about 2006, 2007. I was like kind of bi-coastal for a bit. So yeah, we, we met and I feel like, did we meet at Largo? Is that where we first met? Yeah. Okay. Like so and many I, good things that started at Largo. Largo is, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure, you know, you tell people about it, but Largo is, I think, one of the most interesting theaters in Los Angeles in the sense that it is truly booked by one person's musical and comedy tastes. And his tastes happen to be fantastic and the people <laughs> he loves are amazing and they've all gone on to uh different varying degrees of success i mean you can go from zach galifianakis to sarah silverman who are performing at the original largo um you know when it was like on melrose he's just one of the best guys uh flanagan is his name and uh and still continues to house and find new talent and i can't i can't believe it because 
as I get older and I have kids and he has kids, I'm like, how do you have the time to find these new voices? But he still, he still does. Boy, it is a labor of love. It's funny. It could easily become like a cult of personality because he's so charming and he's got the yeah. Irish brogue and everything. And he's, you know, he pulls all the strings himself in this incredibly influential place, but he's just like one of us, sweet, normal guy. I think what I love about him and what I love about the way he treats artists is that he wants to make sure that you are taken care of. And, you know, in this world and in this life, I think you and I have both done our fair shares of shows where you show up. You don't, you don't even know where the bathroom is. The green room is a closet or whatever it may be. And you are completely like at the whim of this other thing. And you want to perform and you want to get out there. But Flanny does it all. He takes care of you. He pays you. He makes sure that there are things in the green room. The green room has personality. There's just something about it. He is... He cares as much about, you know, having a successful theater as much as he does about creating a environment in which you want to come back, which is rare. Yeah. So if you're anywhere near Los Angeles or traveling to Los Angeles, look at the Largo calendar, go buy tickets and support that place because it's the best. Wait a second. Now, Rhett, and I know I'm delaying you from getting into your show, but I think that this is actually a good Segway, did we actually meet on the prank show? No, but you told okay. me a story about the yes. prank show where one of the pranks you did involved me. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to derail the show because Hijack you're in the away, show now. Paul. All right. So <laughs> I think the way that I became familiar with you was um, back in the day, I worked on this prank show. It was like one of my first jobs ever as a writer. And I was an actor on it too. Very, very small actor on it. Um, and the premise was, it was a positive prank show. So we would find out everything about a person. And then we would install like hidden cameras in their work in all these areas all around their lives. And I believe we were in New York I don't think we ever had cameras inside their house, but we, we figured out ways to cover their life with cameras as they left their apartment, everything. Um, and one of the people that we were creating a perfect day for loved you. So one of my jobs was to figure out how to incorporate you into her day. And I don't remember all the specifics. I got to pull it out because I do have it now on like uh, I have it like on a uh, on a hard drive now because I wanted to save these. But I remember that I had to get a cardboard cutout of you, like a standee of you and position it in some way where then she was carrying the standee of you for a chunk of the day. Like you were with us on the show, even <laughs> though you were not physically there. Um and it, it was a, she was excited to have, it. it wasn't like a burden, like now you must carry this thing. But, um, that, that is how I, uh, was introduced to you. How I found out about your music was through this prank show that never actually aired because we shot our eight episodes. They came out great. And then the head of, I think at that point it was maybe, uh, 
UPN or whatever, Warner Brothers, WB, whatever. It was one of these weird ones. They're like, oh, we don't do positive prank shows. We only do mean prank shows. And at that point, (laughs) their number one show was a show like American Idol, but they were only putting through people who were shitty. (sighs) And then the last episode was they took the shittiest person and like, you won. And like, oh my God, I won. I won this contest. You're amazing. And then the host, and and I feel for it now more but oh my God, it was rough. The host had to come out and be like, you're, you're terrible. You're terrible. And they're so ecstatic because balloons are dropping. People are cheering. What? And like, you're terrible. You're awful. And what? <laughs> and then and like the realization's like setting in. I was like, yeah, no, this is prank show. has been, a, this is a prank show. You are actually the worst singer. And the person's like, and you're seeing them like, what? what? Like they're just getting hit by a Mack truck. And and then they're, but it's okay. Cause we're going to, we're going to get you singing lessons and we're going to make sure that you get all this stuff. And, um, get you to plastic surgery. It was so, uh, so bad. It was so, so bad. Uh, but that was what they wanted us to be. And I remember when that aired, people were bummed. I mean, it, it, it was a bummer of a show. It was a, like, and I guess there was like some fun to it in the beginning. Cause everyone was bad, but like, Oh man, what a terrible, what a terrible prank. So they aired that show, but they wouldn't That show was a hit. Yeah, not ours. Make my day, never aired. So no one got to see you running around New York City, even though it wasn't you. I mean, we did so many fun things because the premise of that show was let's have fun. However, there was one moment, and I love this this thing, which was like one guy loved James Bond and we created a a James Bond day for this guy. And part of it was we were taking him uh, on a ferry to Governor's Island, which is a small island off the coast of Manhattan. Um, You know, you can get out there and there wasn't anything there when I was there. And now there's things there. Um, We're going to Governor's Island um, and uh, or Governor's Island or one of these, one of these small, like a very small island. Um, And as we're going, we have a camera uh, and a helicopter and, the, and the, basically this guy thinks that the helicopter is chasing them like a James Bond thing. And the helicopter is like buzzing this boat as they're speeding across uh, Manhattan river, um, Hudson, whatever it is. And um, the, one of the, we just started seeing blood all over the white, uh, you know, speedboat. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? And we found out much later that the actor that we had hired to be like the security guard, um, he had hemorrhoids. And because the boat was popping so much, like one of his hemorrhoids popped and 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 he was bleeding through his pants and the, and the boat was white. And so there was just like these streaks of blood all over it. And, and it was so... Oh my God. So upsetting. <laughs> That's not the best day ever, Paul. Not in bull for that actor. <laughs> for that was an actor. actor. The person who was there was having a great time. <laughs> Oh God, you know what? I love the premise of that show because it really feels to me like that's kind of who you are. My experience with you has always been that you're really positive, like genuinely positive Oh, you're nice to say it. I, I, you know, I try to be, I think it's hard always to maintain that, but I, I find that with you too. You are very like happy or you seem happy. I've seen you in times where, you know, you've been going through things. And we have emotions. I mean, that's the other thing too. Like you can be a happy person. You can have emotions too. But um, yeah, I mean, we only have one life, right? We have 4,000 weeks. That's the average that we all have in, in this world. So like, let's make the most of it. 
What are you working on right now and how does it light you up? Um, I'll tell you what I'm working on right now actually is um, I'm writing, I'm writing some long form stuff, um, which is so different to me. It's not like um, not a script. It's not a, you know, movie or TV show. It, it is just uh, longer form writing. And I've been really wanting to write some more essays. I had done that in the past and I found this process to be really fun. Now, I will also say that like what lights me up is my job. I love doing what I'm doing. Like I'm getting back to performing again. That is, I mean, it's been such a thrill. I mean, right now, those of you who cannot see me, I am in a setup that I have lights, I have microphones, I got three computer screens running um, because during the pandemic, I realized it's like, you know, I can't get out and perform. And I think there are people out there well, I know there are people out there who can't see shows and we all want to be connected. How can we be connected? And I kind of started doing shows on the internet, like these live streaming comedy shows like Rob Hubel and I, who we've performed together since human giant back in the day. Um, we do an improv show every week or we used to before UCB, I think closed down. I don't know if it's closed down. It seems like it's closed down. Um, and, uh, and I was like, how can we create that vibe online? So like that, like performing to me, and writing and producing and doing all this, that bring, those are things that bring me true joy. Like I'm never frustrated in those moments. And I realize that like whenever I am like doing something, I could be, I could be under deadlines, but I am happy to be doing them. I could, you know, there's very few things like that involve my profession that bum me out. Like travel sure whatever i mean before covid is you know i'm not i'm not saying covid travel uh but you know those those i love what i do i love what i do i love to meet people i love to go out um yeah and i think the only thing that brings me a little bit of like sadness now is a lot of the times i'm thinking how much time will this take me away from my family because especially after the last 18 20 months I've been home so much and I don't want to give that up. And I've been able to kind of find the perfect balance, which is like, I finished doing a show at seven o'clock at night. Uh, I turn off my computer and I walk downstairs and then, you know, hang out with my kids, play video games, read books, go to bed. So it's like that kind of stuff. I lo- I've been just loving that. I just love, I love every aspect of being, this is going to sound real lame, but creative and, and also seeing things. Like I just saw a movie net last night that just blew my mind. I was like, this is amazing. I just love being surprised by, uh, I don't want to like art always sounds like a lofty thing, but I just feel like I love reading stuff, seeing stuff, listening to stuff. And I feel like I get the most engaged when I am getting it from all sides, doing it and receiving it, which don't take that out of context. (laughs) And it seems like during the pandemic, you've been pretty aggressive about finding solutions, making lemonade or whatever. I love what you've yeah. been doing with Rob. I mean, it's so funny and engaging. You got to come on there. I would love it. Uh, I'd love it. I, obviously, I got to set up too. And um, yeah. man, it's just, it's, but that makes sense to me because like, what what's the alternative? You know, despair? Well, yeah, to me, I came from a background and I'm very curious about this with you as well, because I came from a background where at UCB, which is Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which I would call my home theater. That, that's where I learned to do what I'm doing 
I always wanted to do this, but then I found a group of like-minded people and that was them. And, um, and to do a show at this theater and it was a brand new theater. It was an old strip club that they converted like, you know, and to get people at your shows, no one knew who we were. No one knew who this theater was. So we'd have to make a flyer that seemed bombastic. We would go out in Union Square, which is in the middle of Manhattan and and flyer people, but people weren't going to take a flyer because there's a million people out there with flyers. Like, how do you get your flyers to make it work? So we would do things like we'd have one of our friends dress as Santa Claus and we'd have all these uh, wrapping paper tubes and we would say, all right, um, here's a wrapping paper tube. You can hit Santa with it. And people would come by and hit Santa. And as we hit Santa, they'd laugh and then we would give them uh, a flyer and then we hopefully associate something good with what they just saw and a flyer, <laughs> you know, and the flyer, like the, the shows that we did was like, uh, at the, the, one of the first big shows I ever did was called, um, burn millionaire burn, which was when who wants to be a millionaire was like the biggest, hottest show. This is like when it was on prime time, everyone was watching millionaire was big. So we were like burn millionaire burn. If you could laugh at the flyer, you might come see the show. And then it was like, we had another show that Adam McKay co-directed, uh, called Do and Blow with George W. And like, you know, it was the idea like was how do you get people in the seats? Because if they're in the seats and it's good, they'll tell their friends, but you got to get the first people in the seats. I mean, were you like that? Was that something you had to kind of, you know, get people to find you and, and get attention? Yeah. I mean, uh, music is is a little it's a little more built in. People will right. say, I, I want to go see music. And I do think that there's an element of that with comedy. You know, it depends on the scene. Exactly. You have to be like, like, I think if you're at a night of comics and then you see somebody really good, that's great. We were trying to bring them to sketch and improv, which is kind of like, you got it. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, we're going to go get, get some drinks and see some funny people. And every, and if I don't like this person in five minutes, another person will be up in five minutes. You know, it's like, we're like, come sit for 40 and we're doing something here, you know? And it's like, but that ingenuity, that like that ability to be like, well, where am I going to do shows? I mean, you've done this your whole, I feel like you've done this too, like finding different ways to bring people in or do different things. Like you're just not like, I think people often think like, oh, I just perform at a theater. I just do this. I just go over here. But you have to find ways to kind of cultivate an audience or make them come out to see you in a different way or the way that you want them to see you. I don't know. Well, there's a philosophical thing that, I, that I've that i always kind of wrestled with. There are some performer artists type people who think that if they develop a mystique, right. And they act like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm so brilliant that people will just come to them. And for some of them, right. it works. Um, yeah. But for me, I've always thought I have to go out there and like have five times as much energy as they do. And anyone yeah. I like bring it, bring it. Like if I show them that I'm having fun, then they'll feel justified in having fun themselves or like they've got permission to have fun. So I've, that's always been my approach. You know, I think I'm, I'm I'm a similar boat in the sense that I am accessible. I don't mind being accessible. Like I have, you know, in this time, I have a Discord. I'm doing a Twitch show. I I have podcasts. I respond to comments. I get in the mix because why? I know there are people who out out there who don't do it, but. And maybe I'm right. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm appreciative of everyone who supports me and I want to create a relationship with those people. Uh, obviously there are things that I keep that are private, um, but I want, like, we're all in this together. Like we are all 
You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like that idea, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have that mystique too. Like, is it, and you look and go, like, oh, is it, is it better to be that or is it better to be this? I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I think you probably will be happier the more genuine you are because you don't have to put anything on, right? You can just be you. Um, and then, then people are not like upset if you're not you, because like, I think sometimes when we get really upset with people, it's like, oh, the facade dropped the person I wanted them to be, they are not. And then we're angry and disappointed in them. It's because, well, yeah, they were wearing a mask. That's not the person that they are. And then when we see that person or conversely, we believe in a person for a certain amount of time. And then when one piece of information shows up that like kind of warps our perspective of them we either just toss them right out or um you know or or we or that 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 bond is hard to to come by again i don't know um i wonder about even before those early days at ucb when you Mm -hmm. were first realizing that you wanted to be a performer and a comedian and a creative person was there a moment that you knew was there an epiphany moment how how did that happen there were two i think and I don't, don't mean to answer this so quickly. Like, yep, I actually have done a lot of thought about this, but I was actually talking about this the other night. I would record radio shows for myself. Um, like it wasn't going on the air. I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. And what I would do is I would tape. I mean, this is cheating. I'm young. So forgive me for my cheating, but I would tape, um, uh, all the late night shows every night because it was on past my bedtime. Uh, and then I would watch them the next day and I would write down versions of monologue jokes that I thought were funny. And then I would kind of create a monologue based on other people's writings. And, you know, I tried to put my own spin on it too. And then I, uh, and then I had this like do the right thing, uh, cassette or or cd and they had like a radio station and do the right thing and i use that as my call letters and i would take that piece from the soundtrack and i would pop in and i would do sketches and bits and i would do a lot of interviews with celebrities but i would do it in the way where i would take an interview with a celebrity and only i would ask a question on my side and then cut in a weird answer so i was trying to do like these weird like um fake interviews and it was just and i would do that every week and uh if i was lucky when i would go over to my dad's house my parents were divorced i'd play it for him in the car it was like a one once a week kind of show but i would have done it either way and then that kind of continued to develop i loved doing that and i would make like i'd do it and like on video cameras and by myself and um and all that stuff kind of went out the window when I went to college because the college was like, well, now you're in a, you know, I was performing in high school, doing shows. I wrote my own show in high school, which was really fun. Um, that was like basically all like a basic, a comedic monologue. And, um, but then I was like, well, now I have to go to college and now I have to be a real person. And my girlfriend at the time, she, uh, she was doing an art class like she loved art. So she was taking an art class and I was like, I want to do something like that. And I always loved comedy. And I saw this group when I was a kid and I took classes with this group when I was a kid. I mean, that's a whole other story. Uh, but I had this moment where I was like, Oh, I can actually, I can do something fun. Like I don't have to just be like, I'm a college student now. And I went back to that place. I was taking classes at when I was in high school and I started taking classes there. And I, 
And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is, this is like giving me like life. I, I can, I was performing on weekends. I was going away um, on tour. So like NYU was off uh, Friday, Saturday, well, off on Friday. So I would leave on Fridays and go on tour and come back Sunday night and then go back to school on Monday. And I was like, I love this. And so I think it was a gradual build, but there were these moments of, oh, I remember distinctly making these radio shows. I remember seeing, oh, this is one part I didn't remember. Uh, I remember seeing improv for the first time and going like, that's what I want to do because it was like a mix between SNL and like stand up, it just felt like it was like, oh, it was live. If I never saw it, I, want, I wanted to do that. And then when I got this realization, I could do it when I was in college. And then that kept on opening up more doors. And each time I moved to a spot, like another door would open. And I, I fear, I, my, I don't know if you're like this at all, but my, when I sometimes sit up at night and I'm worried, it's about the things that have already happened, like in the sense of what if I never looked into finding an outlet when I was in college and I just went and became like a graphic designer, which is something I didn't even want to do. Um, what if I didn't go see that show with my dad? Like all the, all the ways that my life wouldn't have been open to this like very unique, small subsect of performing, which is like improv and sketch. And then that continually opened me up more and more. And like, if I didn't quit doing Chicago State Limits, which is where I was touring around the country to then start doing Upright Citizens Brigade, where they were paying us no money versus being paid some money, um, I would never gotten on an audition for SNL. I would have never met my friends. I would never perform with these people. I would never, like, I just would never have moved up. And I, you know, I find that with my wife too. It's like, and maybe that's a dumb way to be, but those, all those like little moments those little things like those, those doors opened up another door. So every little door opened up another door of me wanting to do more and more. The, the things on that list of the what ifs, the, the, the things yeah. that came along and happened to you, um, some of them sound like they were accidents, happy accidents, getting right. taken to a show or whatever. But a lot of it sounds like it really just stems from, from being brave and being willing to, you know, trust an instinct. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess, you know, Sure. Like, I think you always have to listen to your gut about what you want to do or what you feel confident in, I think. Um, because sometimes the right choice appears wrong. And the way that I will kind of justify that in two very big moments Um. I was doing a sketch show, Human Giant, with Aziz Ansari and Rob Hubel, directed by Jason Wollner, who just directed uh, Borat 2. Uh, great, amazing. He, Jason was such a... I always like to mention Jason because he was such a strong force in the writing and directing and style and tone of the show, and I don't feel like he gets enough credit. But uh, what I, when we had our second season, it was over, our ratings had gone up, and MTV was like, can you come back for a third season? But at that point, Aziz was circling doing... Um, Parks and Rec or what was to become Parks and Rec. At that point, it was not yet determined. And um, and we all sat down and we were talking about it. And we we're like, if Aziz isn't around, are we human giant? Are we, you know, and Aziz was, Aziz did not break up the group. Aziz didn't do anything wrong. But I think as a, gr <laughs> uh, but as a group, we were looking at it and going like, is it fair 
for the three of us now to be in a room. And then when Aziz would come, he would be the fourth and we'd be like, all right, here's the premise. Here's what we're doing. Because what I loved about Human Giant, I think we, we all loved about Human Giant was we were a collective. Nothing got through unless we all liked it. it there was never a sketch where it was like, well, that's Aziz's sketch. He'll do that. We all liked it. We all had to like sign off on it. And I think that that's what made the tone of the show uh, incredibly unique. So we decided as a group, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do a version of our show without one of the people who is an integral part of it. And I, and I think Aziz, you know, would would never want, and I don't think he did, would ever feel like, oh, well, I held you guys up. You didn't. Like, I think we made, I think we made the best choice for the group. We left as friends. We had an amazing time. I love our second season. And if anything was sullied in our third season, it would wreck everything. Like, right. So I think we made this choice that did not make sense at the time, which is like, let's not continue with this show. Let's stop making money. Let's stop doing this thing that we just feel like we're figuring out for an opportunity to leave that as it was. And when we did the league, which is a, a show kind of in the style of curb about fantasy football, um, we did seven seasons of that show and it was an incredibly successful show. We were a 1030 show and we had a 10 o'clock lead in. And over the last like three or four years, our numbers at 1030 were higher than 10 o'clock. And that, if you know anything about TV, and you shouldn't because this is the most minutia bullshit of all time. Uh, a 10.30 lead-in getting higher than, or a 10.30 show getting higher than their lead-in is very rare. Normally, you know, the uh, like as you get later, the numbers go down. It's just the way it goes. So we were in a very successful spot. We loved working together. It was a great time. And FX offered us a ton of money to come back and do more shows. And we said, no. As a group, everyone in that group was like, we love this experience, but creatively, I think it's run its course. Like, it, like we did seven years, like seven years of that. And, and those are those scary decisions. Like, but I know I'm right. I know that we were right. And, um, and I may look back and go, ah, maybe I would have done a third season. Ah, maybe, maybe I was too strict or maybe we should have done another season of the league. But then that negates every choice after that. And if I didn't, and not to make this, you know, all about me, it's, but the idea being that uh, I think when you, when one opportunity is cut off, you start to open yourself up to other opportunities. And I think this business and what the best part of being in show business and being a creative show business, being a creative person is you get to meet and work with a lot of different people. And that is the beauty of it. Like when you work on movies, it's like you're on summer camp. You have all these friends, everyone, we're, we love each other. It's the best. Then you go away and you never see them again. You know, for the most part, you know, you text or whatever. But, uh, and when you were on TV shows, oh my God, they're the best. And then you go away and you, like, I want to continually have those experiences because every one of those experiences brought me something new. If I work with the same people over and over and over and over again, and I do work with a lot of people, like Rob people, I work with them a lot, but he's not the only person I work with. And I think that um, having, trusting your gut, trusting your instincts, following your, like whatever that gut is creatively, that fire that you're talking about. Like if you feel like, I don't know, you can't do it. If it's out of fear, like I'm afraid of, like I think there's a difference of I'm afraid of putting myself out there versus 
I'm afraid of diluting what I've made. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You recognize sort of the greatness of those first two human giant seasons and what you guys did with the league. And I mean, it, it reminds me so much of band dynamic, you know, like, right. Would my band be the same without this core member? And then would our catalog survive, you know, a potential shark jump, you know, and I, well, do you, uh, like, I, you know, I was going to ask you this question because this is a, this is a, whatever. I'm not going to set it up more than this. <laughs> I, I believe that one of the smartest musicians of all time is Billy Joel in the sense that Billy Joel is like, I don't have this anymore. I can't write these songs anymore. So I'm stopping writing these pop songs, whatever you want to call those songs. And I'm going to perform the hell out of all the songs that you like. And there was something so smart about that because it was like, great. You go see a Billy Joel show and he's like kind of locked in amber. He's performing the hell out of those songs, but it's not like, hey, here are the 10 that you like. And I'm now going to play like four off the new album that it, it's not matching anymore. It doesn't feel like that one anymore, <laughs> but you got to sit through those because and then I'm going to play four more that you really do like. And there is something about it. I was like, I've never really seen an artist uh, basically be like, I'm out, but I'm in like, I'm going to do my residency at Madison Square Garden. I'm going to perform over here. I am a functioning musician. I'm just not gonna i'm done and i've never seen anyone do that has anyone else done that well it's doubly savvy right because it makes sure yeah. that he gets to continue making his fans happy by only giving them exactly what they want but also less work i don't gotta make new stuff yeah he doesn't even do re-releases and it's a sort of like and and he has a giant catalog where love it or whatever it's like he's got a giant catalog so the shows probably are still interesting on some level but it just sort of like, yeah, let's fucking go and, 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 and knock it out. And I think that, you know, um, I, I felt very old. I went to a, a Foo Fighters show uh, at the forum like a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. It was great. I've never seen the Foo Fighters live, and I've, I've been a big fan. And I know that that's a very questionable thing. I know people are like, what? You like that? I, I, I like the Foo Fighters. So uh, I'm not going to apologize for it. But uh, it was funny because, you know, he kept on like, asking the audience like who's been here since the beginning and then all of a sudden it started to become very clear i was looking around i was like oh this is all like roughly old people like i like that's another thing that you like that i think i was the first time where i was like oh i am i am like that older guy now at the concert in the sense that i used to be like i'd go into the city and go see evan dando or i would go see like weezer and and you know whatever i was going to see like what they're new and i was young and it was like let's go in um all ages they don't card you you don't have a light you know you don't have, i'm not 21 and then i looked around and i was like oh this is the first time where i'm like i've been around for like a while like he's like he was making jokes about driving a minivan and calling people old and then i looked up how old he was i'm like oh motherfucker you're older than me like what like why are i like you can't be like <laughs> but it was an interesting thing to also see that like i've have you seen that with your fans like where you're like oh i've you've been performing for a long time like have you been like like is there a subsection where you're like oh this is like the can you see a difference in your audience where you're like Oh, these are people who maybe just found me or this is something who, or, you know, like, like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm always curious, like when new people come in, why they come in, if you hit something in the right moment, I don't know. Like, have you experienced that at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. And the, with the 97, since we've um, been going since 1993, 
You know, we've we've had full generations come through. You know, now we'll have. Well, that's like kind of the same yeah. as Foo Fight, right? And that, that's like you guys have been around for about that, about that. I mean, or a little bit, you know, in that in ninety, yeah, that nineties time is like. So you're you're having people who are like in their fifties, fifties out there. It's funny though to speak to your earlier thing about Billy yeah. Joel. I have a lot of friends and bands from the nineties that had a hit, and there's a okay. thing, especially I think oh, with yeah. nine with nineties bands where when they have a hit, they get sort of locked in Amber with that hit. And now they're on a tour called the yes. eternal summer tour. And then they play yes. a handful of songs and they close with their hit. And then, you know, whatever the next nineties band comes on. I know it's like three, that was at Dodger stadium just a little while ago. It was like green day. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, it was like, and it was like, Oh wow. Green day is a part of this, like threesome. Like I, I saw a threesome at the Staples center and it was great. But it is, it's like, okay, I'm watching Boys to Men do the four songs. I'm going to watch yeah. NSYNC do the four songs. And Oh, wait, so the Hella Mega Tour had other bands on it that below Green Day that were like Boys to Men and NSYNC? Oh, no, that's that, I, these thing. are okay, two good. different. Yeah, okay. so the uh, the Boys to Men, NSYNC, and the one with Nick Lachey, I forget that one. Sure. Okay. Uh, so it was like... It, yeah, I think it was in sync. But that's or, no, it was Backstreet Boys. It was it was yeah. Bell. It, it, yes, it was Boys to Men, uh, New Kids on the Block, and the Nick Lachey. That was the three. That was the threesome. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a second to get it all together. Um, but I remember seeing, like, I remember seeing like Natalie Imbruglia play um, at like Hard Rock Live, and she played Torn three times in one oh, show. I got, but well, of course, because what else is there? And then, right. and then also covers. They'll do yes, covers. covers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the, whenever I get, sorry, this is um, not to make it about me. Uh, I whenever, want it to me. I'm sorry. I keep on cutting you off. I want no, to hear the whole sorry. point is that to, to interview you, I'm supposed to be interviewing mm. you, but um, you people want to hear about you. I don't care about me. <laughs> whenever I start beating myself up about whatever, I think the bands that had a hit, they have their own mantle to bear. And maybe the, the publishing checks that roll in every month are bigger, mm. but we've gotten to have a career where every record is regarded as sort of like a, a, a new entry that people welcome to our catalog and people, there will right. be songs on it that will end up playing forever. And, but we've never had to sort of stop time, which is what happens when you have the big, big, big hit. Well, can, I mean, let me ask you this question. Obviously you're incredibly successful. <laughs> Obviously, you've had hits, but do you think it is better? And you may say, well, Paul actually did have that. And this this is my own problem. You didn't have like, I don't believe you to have like a defining hit where it's like, that's it. Like, like Green Day, it's like, I be like, I I know what that hit is like. And not and that's not like it's sort of like you've had a, a career of good songs good albums but there are those people who just pop really hard with like a single and and that first album and and a lot of people like maybe check out after that first album like you know it's like and i think like pearl jam could have been one of those bands right or something like that but they are not like pearl jam has now become this other thing i'm talking about these 90s bands and stuff like that um but it's it's kind of a curse right to have like 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 boys to men like boys to men, it, like they are incredibly talented, but it's kind of a curse because it's like, I just want to hear that. I want to see that. That's what I want to see. And it doesn't mean that, they, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, for sure. And it's what you were describing about an audience showing up and going, oh God, they're going to play more stuff off the new record. Um, 
but you know that's a different thing i think there's career bands where you're sort of allowed to grow and keep making records so i wonder this is one thing i wanted to ask you about um because you in your career you've had you've had high points you've done i mean i feel like you've mastered so many media but um i feel like you know the league obviously was really big and i know i wonder about for instance when that ended or when you chose to step away from human giant um these moments where you've already described having some sort of doubt and then maybe retroactive you know questioning of what if that hadn't happened um Mm -hmm. like within yourself you must have had some internal struggling like to me you seem someone like someone who's pretty calm like you seem pretty comfortable in your own skin but i've i've discovered that everyone i talk to deals with some version of internally generated obstacles and i wonder if for you when those have arisen like how have you figured out to sort of work through them push through them the fears the um uh imposter syndrome comes up a lot or oh yeah Cash i mean about that, success guilt yeah no i look I feel all those things. I, how do I push through? I think one of the things I'm most thankful for is my ability to create. And like, yes, I've been, I've gotten to work on a lot of things. I think I've been lucky because I've never been, I've, and maybe this is me talking about me and putting it on you. So I apologize because I'm like, I've never had a one hit wonder. I've never had, like, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, um, I've never been like, oh, I was that guy in that thing, right? I I have been in a lot of great things um, that are not like juggernauts. And I'm not saying like, I'm, and, and there's, and there's always the want of like, oh, I wish I was that thing. But I think sometimes a juggernaut can trap you mm-hmm. and make you feel stuck. Now where sometimes I get upset is I will feel like, oh, people who watch the league don't know anything about me being on Black Monday because all they care about is the league. And people who listen to the podcast don't even know that I do X, Y, or Z. And there, and I have two podcasts. Like, so people who listen to How Did This Get Made don't listen to Unspooled. People who listen to Unspooled don't listen to How Did This Get Made. So I feel oftentimes like my biggest frustration is how can I unite <laughs> these different tentacles? Because I, I, I feel like I am something to each person. Like I, I was in the airport a while ago and someone's like, hey, have you ever done anything since Best Week Ever? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I have. And then I get defensive. Like I'm like, and I don't want to like, but, but to them I haven't. Because I'm also not like on the poster of a thing, but you know, and like the league was, the league was uh, successful, but not successful in the way that the big bang theory is successful. Like, and it was successful to a certain corner of people. And, and there's great, I love, I do love my career because I feel like what I'm able to do is continually try to find things that are different. Like whatever I do next, I don't want it to feel like the next thing. I think I could very easily be like, um, oh, I want to do something that feels like Andre. I want to keep on doing sketch comedy. I want to do, you know, like I try to make choices. So when I was doing the league, I was like, I'm doing this character. This, this guy is a fucking dweeb nerd, whatever it is. Like what, you know, 
that I love and is, you know, and has elements of me, has elements of my friends. But I was like, I need to do something different. So I created NTSF SDSUV, which is my adult swim show, which ran for four years in there. And NTSF was like, I'm going to do Jack Bauer here. I'm going to do my James Bond, my action star. I'm going to do that. And that will at least give me an outlet to be like, I'm not just this. And then when the league was over, I was like, what can I do differently? Where do I want to go? And Veep opened up to me and I was like, oh my God, well, Veep. And then I was just, I was kind of playing me, a straight character, like very straight, but fun. And I got to work with these amazing people, very different vibe. And then I got really lucky with Black Monday because Black Monday was this opportunity to do something completely different. Like this, this guy who is not quite sure, uh, is in the closet, is wrestling with his sexuality on a show that had drama points, but also had some such funny comedy points. And even when I pick a movie, like I try to be like, what is different? I don't want to be to the point of what we were just talking about with music. And and again, I guess I should have made it about myself because I'm just speaking about myself, but I'm trying to make it about music. But uh, I, I try really hard to make sure that I am doing different things. And that may, again, also be hard because the easy route is like, let me do that again. Let me do the thing I did again because someone's going to want to hire me quicker than that. And if I have to prove myself, I have to, I'll jump through five more hoops and I hate jumping through hoops. And then, and that's the moment where I'll sit here and be like, motherfucker, I have to audition for this stupid movie. I've been in like a bunch of movies. I've had bigger parts. I've done things like this. And I'm like, all right. And I suck it up and I put myself out there. And I think to me, that is the the hardest thing to get to the a very long-winded way of saying if you want what i want is a diversity of career a diversity of experiences and what i have to often work through is ego in putting myself out there and going like okay i'm lower and i don't want to say like i carry myself with it i don't have i don't have a tremendous ego but i just but there are sometimes I'm like, really, I got audition for this. Really, I got to, like, you don't trust me, or really, you don't know me by now, and that bums me out. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm auditioning for, a, and this is me at my at my worst. And and I'll be like, this is a director who's never directed anything. No one in this movie. I don't even know anyone in this movie, and they're making me jump through hoops. Like I'm value added. And then I'm like, but then I'm like, you know what? Then put yourself on tape and do the job. And I think there are moments, and look, I'm not gonna always get that job either, but I think that's a mechanism where I could put that up and be like, no, I, I remember when I was casting my own show and I've done this multiple times, people are like, oh, they're offer only. Oh, they don't do TV. A, a huge, huge celebrity. We we were doing, sorry, I'm really off on tangents, but I, I was doing it. NTSF um, and we cast so many amazing people in NTSF. Uh, just people that you would never see on TV, movie stars, TV stars. They would come as a cool adult swim was cool. Um, you know, we had Brie Larson on this. We, I realized the other day we had like eight Academy Award winners on NTSF. Um, but all that being said was we would offer things to people and they would be like, oh, they don't do TV. And then all of a sudden one person we offered TV to then did a full series like a year later, but whatever. Uh, but, uh, but I always found that the people who came to play were the people that we had the best time with. It's like, it's almost like, yes, I may be bummed that someone said no. I may be bummed that uh, whatever, but 
the people who said yes wanted to be there. And I think all this to say is you have to, you know, like you have to take yourself out of it and be like, I want, why do I want to be doing this? I want to be doing it because I really like the work. I want to be doing this because this, and I think when you put your, uh, for me, when I'm auditioning, when I'm selling a show or I'm doing all this sort of stuff, like, why won't they just buy it? Why won't they just pick it up? You're essentially saying, do you like me? I'm putting myself out there. I'm, and, and that's a vulnerable spot. So it's like continually asking for approval and going like, if you got to know me, you would not, you wouldn't want to ask me. Like, so like I'm, I'm holding myself from rejection on a certain level, but I had a, a realization actually during the pandemic, I was like, fuck it. Who cares? Let's do it. Let's just do it. Like, and, and I treat everything now like the person I love. I love Noah Bombeck. I love like those movies. I'm like, I want to be in those movies. And I, I will, but I'm not going to stress if I don't get it. I'm not going to stress. I'm just going to be like, I'm going to do my thing. This is a weird form. Auditioning is not the best way to see anyone. I know that. And I also know that auditioning is, has nothing to do with talent. It has to do with like a million different things where it's like, is this person right? Is this the way I imagine it? Is this the tone? Is that the thing? And sometimes you can even get in that, you can go from a grouping of a hundred to five, but still there's going to be one person who stands out. And it's not like, oh, that person acted the best. It's going to be like, no, that person looks the best, sounds the best, and is the best. It's, it, or I can get financing off of that person. You don't know and you never will know. And I'm trying to take my, I try to take my ego out of it. When I had to audition for the Black Monday show, like, uh, of course, my friends have created it. They asked me to come in. And I was, and that was something where I was like, I'm, okay, all right, I'm, I'm nervous. I hope I get it. I'm putting myself out there. Then I had to audition with Don Cheadle. I'm like, oh God, I'm nervous. But there's something also really fulfilling when you win a part or you get a part or you sell a show and you actually, you've run the gauntlet and you got it instead of somebody just giving it to you. And you're like, okay, you know what I'm, you're getting now. So like sometimes when I go on set and they've just offered it to me, I'm like, oh, I hope I don't fucking suck because if I suck, then they're going to want to be like, well, we should have auditioned somebody. I don't know. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. I think it's about like continually figuring out how to get out of your way, not judging yourself too harshly, not putting too much pressure on anything and knowing, especially at this point that I have a body of work that I'm just sort of like, it will come and when it will come and how it will come and who it will come from. I don't know. But I'm like, and, and that's why I'm a big believer. If I don't make lists, I don't make rules. I don't not like, I need to work with Al Pacino uh, by the time I'm 22 or, I, uh, you know, I, I, I got to be on this. I got to be on that. I want to, I, whenever I create goals in my head, it's about a very general idea. I want to be doing something like this. I would like to be in something that gets me that, but not like I need to be in a blank or a blank. And that's, I don't know, that's a very long-winded way of answering your very uh, quick question. No, I love it. And I think it's so smart when, when you were making your list of, of, um, of how you have made it work, you didn't highlight the fact that you have placed such an emphasis on being able to create stuff for yeah. yourself. And I mean, like, I know even with the league, there were episodes that you wrote, I wrote the on the league. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, the creating, creating is at the root of this, my savior. When I talk about like being in the pandemic and doing these shows with Rob, uh, doing like performing at UCB, I performed at UCB every once a week, at least from God, from, you know, 2000 to 2021, you know? So it's like, and that's an outlet. That's a chance for me to get up on stage, be loose, be fun, be free. It's disposable. It's fun. It's easy. And 
I created shows and I've created, you know, created a handful of shows. I've created like things. So like, even right now, like right now, I'm not, uh, I'm not like, I just, we just finished up Black Monday. So there's this moment I'm like, oh, well, it's next. But I have things. I'm going to, I'm performing live. I'm going to do this Twitch thing. I'm writing. I'm writing multiple things. And it's like that to me, that is like the sponge that sops up all the anxiety of this business because like, well, at least I'm doing something. I know I'm doing, I'm not waiting for the phone to ring. I can create my own opportunities. People may not buy those opportunities. I can look at a a list right over here of things that I'm like, these are things that are like in the graveyard, things that I think are really good. I worked with Adam McKay on the script for HBO that like, we even did a live reading of it uh, on a podcast and people like, I love this script. It's like, just not happening. I worked on Galaxy Quest for two years. I, I, you know, I'm proud of these experiences, you know, and the people I've worked with. And I'm starting to also start to appreciate that more too. It's like, it's not always, and I know it's a, a old saying, but it's like, it's really the journey. It's like, it's, are you having fun? Are you working with good people? And by being a part of, I'm a writer, a director, a producer, and an actor. And that order can change, oh, podcaster, I guess too. I, 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 and that order can change at any given moment. And because of that, that gives me relief. If, and if I was just an actor, if I was just waiting, I would go, I, I think I'll go crazy. Yeah. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to distill this wisdom that you've been sharing with us. Um, but before that, we'll take a short break. And we're back. Um, Paul, I, I, I love this. And, and I, um, I feel like you're so generous with this. I, I see you, and I think you do some of this with your podcasting too, just the way that you um, explain things and communicate things. I could see you being a great teacher. I don't know if you've oh, thought about say. that much. I actually, oh. I, I, that was my, my, my minor. I have a, I think I have a, you yeah, have an education degree from NYU. I didn't go there for acting. Wow. You finished your degree and mm-hmm. everything. No, I mean, I finished college. Yeah. yeah. I, I think if I was to teach, I would have had to gone to a next, I, I was like, let's get out. Let's go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, um, but, but yes. And now, and boy, and I remember now, as I'm saying this, I'm remembering being with you um, one night, right when you had found out you guys were going to have kids and, um, yeah. and you would, that's so exciting. And I remember when you told me, I thought this guy is going to be such a great dad. Oh, you're nice to say it. I mean, is it true? I, I, I remember having that? that conversation with you and we talked about like, you know, I think at the end of the day, the thing that truly you're like, you said to me in the beginning of this episode, like what, you know, what lights my fire? And I think if I was to distill that to anything, it'd be two things. It would be being creative and being surrounded by people that I love. And, and there are obviously variations of those people that I love, you know, obviously my, my wife, and my children are, is at the highest top of the you know, family is at the highest top of that. But like, I get so much energy just from being with my friends and, and those are the things. And, and I think like, no matter where your career is, because we all have hills and valleys and we don't know when we're in the valley or we don't know how deep it's going to go. We don't know, you know, when it's going to stop if you're on a hill. Uh, if you can rely and rest in and be happy with the people that you are surrounded by, you will just live a, you will live a better life because I know people, I'm sure you do too, that are just about career. And if you live by a career, career is a fickle beast and that's going to let you down more than anything else. 
I think it was a Noah Baumbach line that I've tried to remember all the time about ice. Uh, ambition is the ice on the surface of the soul, something like that. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. I don't know if that's, that could be completely wrong. Oh, well, um, I like it though. So let's give it to him. Let's say that that's, <laughs> yeah, that's who it was. Um, so, but my, my typical final question is uh, if you were to run into a 21 year old version of yourself, but in today's world, and I think maybe you just give, gave me the answer to this, but I don't know if this would change with regards to your own willingness to take advice or what you needed to hear at 21, but what advice might you give 21-year-old Paul Shear in 2021? I would say, I would say in 2021, oh, let's say COVID is a little bit better. Uh, like, you know, so I, I, I'll open that up. but. I, I think the thing that I would say to the 21 ver 21 year old version of me is this is a moment in your life where you have no responsibilities. You have nowhere to be, nowhere to go and use that to the best of your ability in the sense of travel, have life experiences, focus on what you want to focus on but also recognize that this will be the one time in your life where you can basically rebound from anything, go and do anything. And, and that like, you know, and yes, like I wouldn't change, like, I don't need to tell myself anything about where I was. I was creative. I was doing stuff like I wouldn't want to tamper with myself in that way. Like, but I would tell myself to enjoy that. Cause I think the only thing that I would, the only thing I, and this is again, maybe this is a regret that I don't have, but or a regret that I have, which is like, I definitely was career focused. Like once I found out like, Oh my God, UCB and all these people I want to perform all the time. I didn't ever allow myself to take a break, but I could have taken a month break. I could have gone to Europe. I could have done this stuff. And I felt there wasn't an, an, uh, like I need to be here. I need to be here. And and yes and no, because like, I'm here now because of that. But I also feel like sometimes you need to see the forest through the trees and you can, you can do this. And I'd also say, don't settle down. Don't settle down because I feel like I was a person who was in uh, longer relationships earlier in my life. And I don't know if I needed that right then. <laughs> That's great. That's very useful, actually, I think. <laughs> right. Oh, Paul, this has been so cool. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm the luckiest guy to get to have this conversation with you today. No, Thank I loved you. having this conversation with you. You made me realize stuff about myself as I'm talking about it. I don't get to talk about this stuff in a very earnest uh, way. So I apologize if it, any of it comes off like whatever, because it's all, a lot of it is just like off the top of my head, but I, I you know, it's, no, it's a weird thing to like analyze yourself and be like, what am I doing and what, how do I feel about it? Well, but I think it's useful. And I think that a lot of people don't ever really get to hear people that they admire um, get into that kind of stuff because we all have to see them, you know, bulletproof all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was a, a quote that I heard and I'll leave you with this. And I know you already got me out of here, but I'm going to say one more thing. There is no, there's no end, right? There's no end to what, we want to be doing right and i think that that's much more in a creative space like um like i'm not working towards retirement 
right? I'm not like, I can't wait till I'm out of this game. You know, and I think being comfortable with, I, I view my life in these, like I'm climbing a giant mountain that has no, that has no top. And I get excited when I'm in the climb. And then when I reach a plateau, I'm like, okay, I'm on this plateau. All right, well, now how do I attack this next thing? And it's like, and it just is a continual climbing experience. But I know, like, I'm not ever thinking about what's the top. I'm just thinking about, like, how do I just keep on going up and not back down? And if I go back down, I got to go back up again. But I'm like, but I think that that is like a way that I, I look at things. Because if you talk to anybody out there, even the, the person that you think is doing, is doing everything they want, they're not. There's something that they're not getting that they want. They may be getting the biggest things and the, that and this, but they feel like someone's not seeing them for something else. Everyone feels that way. I, I believe. I, and if there's somebody that doesn't feel that way, I'd like to hear from them. <laughs> I would want to hear what, why. Why don't they feel that way? <laughs> oh, Paul, this is so great. I can't wait. I hope we get to hang out in real life soon. Thank you so I would much. Love for, to, yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah. All right. Um, well, go rock on. Give love to All your right. family. I will. All right. Thanks. See you later. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.